Welcome to today's podcast. Today we'll be discussing cultural philosophy. We'll be focusing more on the Mayan cultural philosophy. Today I have joined with me Mr. Jeremiah Chiak, who will be sharing his cultural philosophy. Like you said, my name is Jeremiah Chiak. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in history from the University of Belize. My main focus during my studies uh, was particularly indigenous studies. Um, most of my research and uh, other educational material were done around indigenous studies. Um, I have, uh, in many parts, um, been an advocate for indigenous people. Um, I've started one of the first indigenous uh, Maya club at the University of Belize. Um, which is still continuing up to present day, uh, which celebrates actually um, International Mother Language Day throughout the country. It's like one of the first places that has been celebrating it throughout the country for the past, I believe, uh, four years, going on four years. Um, but in a nutshell, I'm, my social demeanor, I've, um, I've worked with, uh, worked for, and uh, guided many um, organizations that assists or work with um, people from different culture, uh, belief, um, people that have different philosophy, um, gender, um, and a wide array of uh, pockets of societies in Belize. Mr. Jeremiah is also an indigenous person from Belize. He is from the Mopan Maya culture. <laughs> one of the things I forgot to mention. Of all the things, I forgot that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, to begin with, today we'll be discussing, like I mentioned, cultural philosophy. But in order to do that, we must look at what is cultural philosophy. It can be argued that philosophy is an essential part of every culture. Philosophy is the means by which every culture provides itself for justification for its values, beliefs, and worldwide views, and also serves as a catalyst for progress. Culture is considered as a philosophy of the first order activity. What do you think about this, Mr. Chiak? Um, so I hate to I hate to kind of think of cultures as um, having this one set ideology. Um, this is more eurocentric you know having that one set mind is eurocentric um from my perspective as an indigenous person indigenous people have always thought of things differently not necessarily linear but um i, I would say not necessarily parallel either but there would be like a, a scattered array of thinking and so uh, if you think about language in itself <clears throat> language uh, when translated has to either be by direct uh, direct translation or by context. And so you trying to understand something might be different because you have a European mindset. So in, in essence, um, when I'm looking at this and, and like cultural philosophy, culture in itself uh, does not necessarily have this linear or one idea that um, could be uh, the main point of the culture, right? Um, uh, <clears throat> I do agree it is 
um, different perspective, like the values, the belief, uh, the worldview, as you had mentioned. But there's no one set way of thinking when it comes to uh, cultures, I believe. There's different perspective of it. And so there wasn't a word for philosophy um, in cultures. You never hear somebody say, this is my philosophy. And then they, they, sh they tell you, this is how we speak. Right. You don't you don't hear people say this is my philosophy and then they talk about um, the beliefs that they have, you know. Uh, so this just goes to show that, you know, culture, um, they just had uh, the way of thinking. No, uh, it's not necessarily a philosophy, but just the way of thinking. As I mentioned before, Mr. Chia belongs to the Mopan Maya. In Belize, we have three different types of Maya, which is the Kekchi the Mopan, and the Yucatec. Mr. Chiak, would you mind sharing a little bit of background of your culture? Um, so I just wanted to add, um, you had said there's three. Um, there was actually more, but uh, due to several instances, uh, warfare, um, the displacement of indigenous people with the coming of the Europeans, um, decreased or uh, i would say dismantled um cultures other other mayan cultures that they uh, that had settled belize prior to the europeans um but um sorry ron could you repeat the question again <laughs> no the question was just uh for a short background of your culture the mopan maya yes um so a lot of people believe that uh, both the uh, Kekchi, which is pronounced actually Kekchi Maya, and the Mopan Maya are migrants from uh, lowland Guatemala. But <clears throat> uh, that's what people would want you to believe. Um, of course, yes, uh, the large population of uh, Kekchi, Kiche, Kekchi, Mayas have settled the lowland part of Guatemala, and of course, migration did happen. But in all essence, the Mayas were here prior to the creation of borders or uh, the demarcation of borders. And so, this was all one big landmass that we used to be traveling from city to city. Keep in mind that the Mayas uh, they went as far as um, El Salvador, Honduras, uh, into Guatemala, southern Mexico, and the entire of Belize, ranging so from south to north, the coast, and the, so, the coast of the, of this side of the Americas, right. Well, we did mostly use coastal communities for um, trading, so it was like a port. We we okay. had ports already. It wasn't necessarily um, living space. No, it was just like a port that we dock at and we we uh, send off goods and we receive goods, um, but. <clears throat> the Mopan Mayas, uh, well, Mayas in a whole, have, uh, I wouldn't say dominated, well, I would say dominated prior to the Europeans, but afterwards, the, you know, all that took place. But uh, the Mayas had been here even after the Europeans, Europeans, uh, historians <laughs> say that there was a collapse. There was no collapse because I wouldn't be here if there was a collapse. <laughs> um so the civilization did thrive. Um, they did migrate to different areas. Uh, one of the key things is that Belize was never um, Maya free, if I may, um, or 
there was never a point in time that there was not Mayas living in Belize. Even okay. after after the, the decline of population, the Mayas were still inhabiting Lamanai, even after there, uh, the creators of Lamanai had um, left. The, Mayas from uh, southern central areas, they migrated north and they landed in Lamanai. Lamanai was one of the still, uh, was still one of the areas or, or sites that were uh, used up to recent times by the Mayas, okay. <clears throat> right? And so <clears throat> when you're looking at the, the Mopan Maya, uh, Ron, I don't know if I'm straying, but just stop whenever I'm straying, but this is just okay. historical background on Mopan Maya, no? Uh, I'm trying to, um, debunk some theories that uh, some archaeologists including our leading archaeologists um had uh had had spoken about no um but when it comes to the mopan maya of course um the mopan maya is closely related to the yucatec maya uh, this is simply because uh, we could see it in the language form when you look at the language the Mopan Maya and the Yucatec Maya are coming from the same branch of um, of uh, Maya uh, lineage when it comes to language. No problem. Uh, also, to to add what you mentioned before, um, the entire point of this podcast is to debunk uh, false theories and false beliefs that has been put into place over the years. So don't worry about it. Just be yourself. All right, I like that. <laughs> All right, um, so one of the things you need to look at when you're looking at uh, the Mopan Maya and where they came from um, is the language. The language particularly gives a direct link or, or uh, a path to show you where um, they originated from and you know where they are at this point in time. Uh, as it is right now, the Mopan Maya is uh, several branches of the Yucatec branch. <laughs> it's several branches of the Yucatecan branch, the, the Yucatecan language. So the Yucatecan language is is there. That was the, the root of the Mopan Maya. And then that is broken down into two, two other um, languages, uh, which is particularly the Yucatec Maya and the Lacantun Maya. Um, those two are similar. And then, okay. you have the, then you have the Itza, and then you have the Mopan. These two are particularly, uh, were predominantly in Belize um, at the time of the European contact now. And of course, there's others that were in Belize. Um, <clears throat> and so if you look at the, the language map, uh, you will see Itza and the Mopan uh, being of similar um, or similar or uh, closely related languages. And this is broken off from the Yucatecan branch, which leads to the Proto-Maya. Um, so the Proto-Maya is the root Maya of all the Mayan languages that exist in present day. Um, <clears throat> but this is this is just a, a, an understanding of where the Mopan Maya came from and where they are presently. Um, the Mopan Maya, of course, is a small population um, in Belize. Um, I believe one of the, uh, it is the second largest population of the three Maya groups that are in Belize, um, with Quiche being the least populated, um, the Quechis, sorry, the 
and then the Mopan and then the Yucatec um, Mayan having a large population. <clears throat> um, it's it's an eye opener uh, to see the culture uh, thriving. And um, of course, I, I do promote the Mayan culture um, in in every in most areas or most things that I do, um, including advocacy. Uh, one of the key things is uh, the Mopan Maya is not a different culture from the Maya itself, the Maya groups themselves. No, it's quite similar. Uh, maybe the language may be different, but there are certain things that is a general overview within all the Maya cultures that you would come across. Uh, okay. for, for instance, um, I the language is different, <clears throat> but the way we speak is similar. Okay. It's similar. I, I do believe um, the Mayas itself in general uh, had a had Yes, we had a language, but we had a philosophical way of speaking. And this is this is to actually highlight um, the way we speak about things and the way we say things. So the Mopan Maya is not, uh, it is a branch of the Yucatec group. And um, I believe holds much similarity with the others that are within that group itself. Okay, then from your culture's perspective or culture's point of view, um, what is life like? What is a what was the purpose of, of existing then? If you you may. So I don't believe that um, there's several things when it comes to your question. Because, of course, I could say I don't believe that we ever believe that there was a destined for our life. Because, uh, come to think of it, uh, we live life simply. And so opportunities come your way. Uh, we know to grab it, to grab a hold of it. You know, as an educated individual, I, I think... Um, or as a learned individual, I should say. Um, when it comes to opportunities coming my way, I would grab a hold of it. Um, as opposed to, uh, I would say somebody uh, else who lives in rural uh, Belize um, that would see an educational opportunity and would probably be skeptical about it. No, uh, there are several things that they would need to think about. Uh, this is just uh, contemporary issues that affect um, the population of Mayas in southern Belize. Uh, I say Mayas uh, in general. In general. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's something that affects them. But uh, when it comes to life and the uh, particularly Mopan, like you had asked, um, I don't think there is, a, like I said, a, a, a purpose for us or a direct purpose, I should say, um, that we have to follow through. You know, uh, when it comes to a lot of people, they're guided by religion and different perspectives that they have gotten over their years. And so that also plays a role in them. Uh, speaking on contemporary Mopan Maya now. <clears throat> and so there's, there's different um, answers, I would say, to that question.
when it comes to particularly the Mopan. Now, if you're asking for uh, an indigenous perspective or <clears throat> uh, what life meant, uh, what life meant back then, it, it would it would simply have to look at um, the exact same thing. There's not necessarily a purpose because one day you could be the son of, um, uh, of one of the villagers and then you're taken to war. So now you're becoming a warrior. And let's just say you win the war or you're the only survivor that comes back and you become a high priest or something to that elevated status. And so your purpose is actually just living. Okay, so according to, well, from the point of view would be our purpose or well, the purpose of life was just to, to exist right simply exist. <clears throat> right this okay. this differs from the other beliefs that they have of course but this is just the um i'm not sure how to word it but it's just uh the mentality i guess okay well from your culture's perspective um what was could you explain a little bit about the creation story? Like, how did it all start? So, uh, the creation story, um, of course, is comes from the Popol Vuh, which is the sacred text of the Kichemayas. Um, and what they had documented uh, reverberates or speaks about the... Uh, philosophy of of Mayans of, of Mayan people uh, the creation story goes that the first invention was mod people and of course this was uh, unsatisfactory to the gods because they kept falling apart <clears throat> you know if you uh, put mud together they just fall apart you know keep in mind they didn't say clay they said mud and of course, mud is not something that could uh, be put together easily. And to have remain, of course, with sun breaks apart easily. <clears throat> and so, of course, the gods destroyed them. And the second creation um, were the wood people. And <clears throat> of course, again, this proved unsatisfactory to the gods, simply because they could not speak. There was, uh, they were inaudible, and so. There was no sounds and the third trial was uh man was made from corn and of course yeah the joke was that you know uh, we are corn people uh, <laughs> literally <laughs> literally as it relates to the belief and uh, figuratively because that was our main staple okay um okay well to continue with that uh it's been known or it's been researched that a lot of um, indigenous people around the world had some sort of grain-like staple as their main, as their foundation for their um, food. Like Egyptians had, um, if I'm not mistaken, they had like wheat. I'm guessing I'm not, I'm not really um, familiar with it, but a lot of indigenous people that I know would, had a lot of, a sort of grain that was their main staple. Um, well, to continue with that, um, could you share the, the, the views on nature? What was, what was the, the Mopan Mayan's view on nature? Well, Ron, I, I hate to think that it's just the Mopan 
Mayan's view, um, <clears throat> because as Mayan, uh, the idea of nature holds high regards and it has, um, it holds uh, high respect for our culture. And uh, one of the key things is uh, the, the act, the act of us uh, still in present day, not just going into the forest to hunt, not just going into the forest to fish, not going into the forest to find um, <clears throat> food based on uh, plants or animals, no? There's still a process of asking or reverencing nature for what it is and asking it um, for kindness, I guess, towards you in offering a uh, plant or animal for, you know, for you to eat. <clears throat> as, as, as Mayan people, it's, it's, um, it's our culture to hold nature in high regards because it is the giver of life, one. Uh, life meaning plants and animals that gives us uh, food supply and so nature nature in itself is is an organism in and of its own that provides for us and so we must respect it okay so from what i've gathered um you're saying that that nature in a sense is alive that that by asking it permission because everything that exists in nature in some way or another has a life force or a life energy. So in order to to be good with nature, you must ask nature permission to use an animal to, or to use a certain plant. Right, right, exactly what I'm saying, Ronnie, because uh, as we know, medicine comes from the forest. Medicine in and of its own comes from the forest. Healing comes from the forest, right? One can survive in the forest. And so it's not, it's not hard to believe that, you know, nature gives, but in, in return, it asks respect, right? Okay, <clears throat> okay. so it, it's something that, that, that must be respected. And, um, from, and from also from what I've gathered, um, uh, because we'll, we live in the planet Earth and nature is inside of earth so from what i've gathered you're saying that earth is a being in itself it's alive and in order to for us to be good with earth we must respect it and then in return i guess it would respect us and provide so, so nature nature owes us nothing Nature's, nature owes us nothing. We owe nature everything, though. That, that is, uh, I guess, one of the beliefs in a nutshell that, that um, <clears throat> could be highlighted, that we owe nature everything. And, and yes, we do believe that Earth, Mother Earth, is alive. Hence the reason we refer to her as, as a sheep. Because, you know... Um, it gives life, it gives, it, it has life, you know, it gives nature, nature includes water bodies. I mean, we can't go into the sea and start drinking seawater, else we choke. <laughs> but 
we can go into nature and find a spring and get fresh water. And so nature is is a life force that lies on Earth. But one of the reasons why we refer to Earth as the giver of life is simply because it contains the soil, nutritious soil that we plant on to give. And that's and that's where the the name of Earth <clears throat> came from, I guess. The the meaning of Earth is dirt soil. <laughs> so I could see where I could see where you're going. Well, the the name of Earth or the name that we've given Earth, or see see that's the thing, uh, and it's it's something. Sorry, it's something that um, I'm I'm straying a bit from your topic just now, but it's something that I need to say here. Um, Earth was given its name Yokol Kab. Okay, and that Yokol means? means on top of. Kab, I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I could find out. But Yokol means on top of, and Kab is just, I don't know. We, we could find <laughs> out. <clears throat> but earth, or, or dirt, sorry, dirt, um, is Lu'um. Right? Okay. But then the area or um, an area is 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 different because we give name to things based on their feature. Right? Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> these are just some of the, the research that I personally still have to do or I'm continuing um, in, in looking at, you know, uh, one of the things is uh, when it comes to the Maya culture itself, it, it's still not researched completely to give uh, indefinite answers. Um, I guess I could say I'm much closer than most Europeans are archeologists because, you know, they, they don't speak the language. And so these are the things that they miss when uh, they come to this side of the world to study. And um, they're not understanding the language. They're not understanding the philosophies uh, and different aspects of the culture in and of its own. So they miss different things. Okay, you're right. They, they they come here and um, they try to to say this culture was such and such, but they're viewing it from their perspective, not right. from the culture's perspective. And that that's why I'm well that that's the whole reason of this podcast or this episode is to get the point of view from the culture's perspective and not from an outside view. I thank you for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Okay. Um. So what I have here from what uh, was discussed earlier, I guess, when you said that nature was alive, so we're supposed to be we're supposed to treat nature as as our home, as as we would treat our home. We would keep it clean. We would keep it respect our home, or as a fellow being, as a fellow human being, we would respect one another, just as we should respect nature because. Like you said, we owe it everything. We owe it. Our entire existence is based because of nature. So without that, we wouldn't even be here. So um, from that, I guess, well, from the ideology that, that's probably floating around right now, I would say that, that, that in a sense, we are the protector or we are the guardians of Earth or nature and not 
it's destroyers like we are doing right now. So um, right. I'd like to get your point of view on that. <clears throat> um, so I'm glad you said we, uh, we are doing right now uh, because entirely we all contribute to it, you know. Uh, myself, when I keep the lights running, when I keep the fan blowing, it's uh, using electricity. And we all know Belize is not um, environmentally friendly as, it, uh, as we buy electricity from Mexico, which is uh, also not environmentally friendly. And so this energy that we're using is contaminating um, Earth itself. It's, it's depleting resources, particularly the forest <clears throat> or nature. And so, yes, um, in essence, we should be guardians of the forest because we owe it everything. Um, there's ways that we can minimize our footprints and I'm glad for other people that are trying to do it. Um, I myself tried to do it. Um, however, in this contemporary day and age, it's 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 rather um, difficult as, you know, uh, this very uh, device that we're using to communicate um, has uh, environmental impacts, you know, when we dispose of it, even the creation of it has environmental impacts. And so it's a, it's a, I guess it's a necessary evil. However, we could do without it, you no. Know? Yeah, like we've done for thousands of years. <laughs> right, right. No, one one of the things that I always look at is, um, it's so ironic that you know we always referred to, uh, er, not we, but others have referred to indigenous people as savage, uncivilized, um, for the way that we do things. But in first world countries now, fruits and vegetables are being wrapped in banana leaves because it has a longevity uh, of of um, of protecting the plants i did maybe not, not from, <laughs> maybe not from insects maybe not from insects but <clears throat> it protects them from the different um, elements elements around them right and so plants that are being sold in the supermarkets in first world countries they're using banana leaves indigenous people have been doing that for centuries Okay, I had no my, idea. <laughs> my, my parents, my mother in particular, um, sometimes would wrap um, meat that is uh, uh, grilled or smoked um, in these leaves, right? And it protects the, the, the food or, or whatever is being wrapped. It preserves it. It preserves. That, that's a better choice of word. Okay, I had no, I had no idea about that banana leaf. It's, it's, right now it's, it's just like mind blowing, mind opening. I had, that, that's pretty good to know. Though. That's that's very environmentally friendly. If it is, it is. It reduces the the amount of plastic that is needed, because in contemporary twenty uh, first century, we're still using these uh, single use plastic wraps which produces a lot of waste at the end of the day. Waste is waste. Waste will always be waste. That's true. And so this is what I'm telling you, that indigenous people have always relied on nature 
and nature relies on indigenous people to protect it. See, and, and that's the whole reason of um of doing this podcast is, is to know more about well, apart from knowing about about different cultures, it would be knowing these these well, I wouldn't say secrets that you guys have. It would be like tips or, or you know, things that, that you guys, that, um, the, well, that indigenous people in general or different cultures do that are environmentally friendly in a sense and that would help. It just helps to know, I guess. I mean, from now on, I guess I would probably use banana leaves to preserve things that I don't want to to, to have. Things with short shelf shelf life, then instead just, of um, just be careful which banana leaves you pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ron, just to clarify, um, when I said banana leaves, that was one of the local names that you know um, kept floating around, but um, I'm not certain if the local name that we've come to know it. Um, is waha leaf it's like w-a-h-a-a <clears throat> leaf uh, it looks like a banana leaf but it's more um how do i say uh it could be folded up because if you fold the banana leaves it rip they rip yeah yeah so there's this other leaf that you could actually use to enclose something in so the tamales leaves it's not the same. It's not? Not the same. See, okay. the tamales leaves, they have to be uh, smoked mm -hmm. for it to have that, um, that, Folding, flexibility. Flexibility. Yeah, that flexibility for it not to like rip. Yeah. But okay. yes, the, the leaves are different. So just be careful. Okay. I, I've got to. <laughs> Thank you for that. I have to do a little bit more research to know what um what leaves I can and cannot use then because I don't want to use a random leaf and just get toxic. <laughs> have a, you have a toxic <laughs> time. Okay, so you mentioned that um that we are or we're made from corn right now. We're we're living in the corn era, if I could say. Um, you had mentioned we. So about um, planting corn, or planting in general, what is um, or agriculture in general? What is your uh, take on that? So when it comes to agriculture, there's um, different methods that are in use that were used in the past, um, but I think that. Uh, even some of the methods that were used in the past are still used into contemporary uh, times. <clears throat> but the method of, of agriculture differs um, because of seasons, time, uh, because of location, um, and different aspects of um, nature around us one of the things that uh i always see is that indigenous people would plant beans and corn together uh, but these would be planted in areas that have rock piles 
And okay. so, you know, you'd find areas or like a hill that has a bunch of rocks you try to dig and it's all rocks. And so these areas are ideal for corn and uh, beans. <clears throat> one of the things are uh, there's different methods of planting. So one of the one of the beliefs or one of the philosophies that we have, um, I'll, I'll use your word, one of the philosophies that we have when we plant is we plant in different numbers. And so ideally, most of the, of the plants that are planted are planted in three. Okay. And the seeds, the seeds that are planted, they're planted in three. So there's going to be three corn in a hole, three corn seeds in a hole. And this is ideally because there's one for you, there's one for Mother Earth, and there's one for the animals that comes around. And this goes to show our reverence or our giving back to nature. Nature. The very thing that gives to us when we don't have. And so <clears throat> this is this is just one of the ways that you could look at um, as it pertains to agriculture. You know, the planting of three seeds in, in one hole and, um, you know, giving back giving back uh that to mother earth okay so i see again the philosophy coming up that we must give back to nature that that keeps coming up from the different questions that we keep probing right because it, it goes to show um that we must reverent or respect nature or mother earth in and of its own Okay, so because we're connected to, well, indigenous people in general are connected to more to earth or to nature. Yes. Okay, I see. And in the, hmm, I don't know how to word this. Then, in in the, well, from the cultural perspective, what is your take on? I wouldn't. I don't want to use the word religion because it. Although religion did exist in a sense, it wasn't really what it is now. So, I mean, if you may, if I may use the word religion, what is your take on from the culture's religion? Good and evil, heaven, hell, you know, all that. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, yes, as you mentioned, uh, religion now is not the same as was back then. Um, of course, indigenous people, speaking about ancient or first people, uh, the Mayas, um, they, they were more of a polytheistic belief. They had a polytheistic belief, but also um, a mystical belief, I would say. And all this has to do with, um, you know, having many gods, and um, of course, I'm I'm one to read documents and and articles and publications that are out there, and I try to see their perspective on it, you know. And uh, one of the books that uh, you know keeps coming back to me when I when I think about religion is simply a method of control. You know, back okay. then back then uh, when they had kings and rulers uh,
kings would often rely on fear as a tactic to control the mass. And so keep in mind that they were the only ones that were um, knowledgeable about the astronomical right, events. Right, right. And so it's like, okay, well, I know when the lunar eclipse will happen or the solar eclipse will happen. And so, you know, I would set up a celebration, uh, a bloodletting sacrifice, right? And, you know, I would go through with it during the eclipse or before, prior to the eclipse so that it phases in, you know? Yeah. And I would, I would then tell my, my people that, you know, the gods uh, are happy, you know, with my ceremony, my bloodletting ceremony, you know, but the gods require, you know, more production of agriculture or they uh, ask for more taxes towards the kingdom or the empire. <clears throat> and so this is just one of the ways um, that is used to control. Uh, in in contemporary beliefs, uh, you you see religion playing an important uh, important role in in people's lives. You know? It it dictates uh, what they do, how they do, and so yes, it's a different perspective. Simply because um, contemporary religion is only mon monotheistic as opposed to having a polytheistic uh, religion that has different gods for different uh, things. things. Right. <clears throat> or you okay. could just refer to them as representations of... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the different things. <laughs> it goes back to that. But then I didn't want to say things because then you have things yeah. like season, you have things like animals, you have things like uh, feelings and stuff like that. And yeah, so I, I get what you mean. Of course, oh. um, you know, when you're, when I guess when you were talking about uh, the belief that was back then, uh, there's good and evil. And of course that, that is, that is uh, something morally in all of us, I guess I would say. And, um, Indigenous people from all over have written or documented different aspects of good and evil within their culture. Okay, okay so from, from what you're saying right now is the concept of good and evil exists only within us and not externally. Right. Or okay, okay. I was just I'm right. just trying to, to clarify. So because that, that's um I mean that's what I got from it. It's not that that I just wanted to make sure that's what you meant. Well, yes, yes, it is. Um so one of the things to look at is that yes, the Mayas believe that there was a heaven, there was an earth, and there was the underworld, which is what we have come to call hell, which is below us, right? Or Shibalba. So, <clears throat> yeah, or Shibalba. But one of the things to look at is, is that in the heavens, in the heaven realm, uh, the gods, that's where the gods were. On earth is where we are. And then in the underworld is uh, not, uh, how do I say this? There was an underworld, but it was based um, on trickery, 
And so if you look at the, the book of Chilambalam, which is uh, the Pupul Vo, um, it, it highlights, it highlights uh, when the hero twins were sent to the underworld. And their entire journey through the underworld was based on all trickery. They would have to do this, and they would have to trick this one to try to get this done, this task done. And so it was their story entirely is like that. Okay. So so from what I'm getting is um the underworld wasn't really a place of torture or like as in I'm I mean as most people would come to believe, uh fire blazing, you know, you're in constant torture, but it's mostly of a place of trickery and deceit. Well, I, I guess you could put it that way. Um, of course, there was torture, because well, then, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's a form of torture, but <laughs> uh, yeah, because then it's trickery. No, um, one of the things the hero twins had to do was to, I can't remember if it was uh, a hummingbird tried to steal its beak, or it was a bee or a mosquito that they had to steal the stinger from off it. No, but they had to trick uh, the animal into giving it up to them. And so, of course, you'd say, well, that, that's a clever plan, but it's going to be torture for somebody who don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this, this just goes to show the, the connection that Mayas had with animals, per se. They know the animals, right? So they yeah. would know what the animals eat. They would know what the animals uh, smell and what would knock out the animals, right? <laughs> and so all this plays are that role, you know. Of course, there was torture if you don't know what you were doing, right? But um, one of the things that I want to throw out here is that <clears throat> we, we don't have, and I don't know if uh, other cultures have, derived uh, one, but in the Mopan language, there's not necessarily a word for Satan. There's a word, oh, okay. there's a word we've come to adapt that represents Satan because of the religious influence that we've had over the centuries, no? But there was never a word for, a word for Satan or the evil one, or Lucifer, or whatever else name that we could think about. <laughs> there was never a name. The term that we've come to use to um, used as the name for Satan is Kisin. Okay. But in, in ancient times, Kisin was a prankster or a trickster. And he was the god of fart. <laughs> the word kiss is fart in Mopan Maya. Okay. So, yes, this, this so, is what I'm telling you. There, there's just a, an adaptation of the use of the word to uh, represent um, what we have come to call Satan. <laughs> so, with that being said, you're, you're, it's basically saying that um, we shouldn't really take him serious because he, for one he's a the god of art so i mean <laughs> how could you take someone that, that's the ruler from the world seriously 
with a name like that, right? <laughs> right. But of course, he was just one of the gods. Yeah, one, one of the many that, that. One of the many, yeah. Okay, so we discussed the the whole concept of um, good and evil, heaven, hell, earth. Um, what is the belief or the philosophy on animals that exist in earth? Or exist in general, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so animals in general, because they are attached to nature, or so we see it, has to be reverenced. Okay. In general, we have termed animals to translate to bal che, which means thing of the forest or thing of the woods, right? In general, they are a part of the forest. <clears throat> what we have come to term or what the Europeans have come to term as pets, we refer to as Himalak, which means another like me. And so a pet is not necessarily an animal where I go to a shelter and adopt or I go to uh, or I go to the forest and I trap a bird and I bring it home and I say, this is my pet. <laughs> I go to my backyard and I find a frog and I say, this is my pet. No, it has okay. to be, it has to be something of representation. It has to be something of character. It has to be something that reflects you because in essence, what Iwalak means is another like me. Okay. Right. So, so you're saying that the concept of, of pet didn't really exist back then. It was just an extension or someone like you, an extension of yourself. Right. Right. Which is, um, I guess, in the form of an animal, <clears throat> but uh, with respect, you know. It, mm -hmm. Of course, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't hit yourself or you wouldn't kick yourself so there's no use of uh being violent towards your animal no and so all of this shows respect towards nature which embodies animals okay so um could you explain um what, what happens when you go hunting then or when you go I wouldn't want to use the word kill. I guess we could continue with the word hunting. Animals for food. What's, so, um, yeah, what's the take on that? So remember you ask reverence for the forest to provide you with something. And of course, the forest would respond with giving you animals or leading you to <clears throat> whatever it is that you are looking for. So if you were going to fish and you ask for reverence, then you go to fish and you'll you will catch fish. Uh, that's the belief or the idea. You go to hunt and you will catch something. You go to look for um, edible fauna, um, flora, sorry, and you will find something 
there is a <clears throat> the concept of uh, looking for a kuhun. The heart of palm is not easy. Is not easy. But people have said that you know, um, elders, of course, that I've spoken to, they've said that you know when you asked uh, nature or, or the forest um, reverence to actually go in and to carry out hunting or to carry out fishing or to carry out um, search for um, flora to eat, it becomes available. It becomes available. So it provides, yeah. in a sense. It provides. <clears throat> There's instances where you know, people go to hunt without asking reverence and they don't return. <laughs> oh <Yeah>. my god <laughs> they're found they're found with logs on top of them of course oh. it could be it could be a coincidence that the same time they're walking past uh, a tree branch falls on them but in our belief we don't see it that way we see it as an act of encroachment and of course mother nature which is the forest would take action against you as consequence of not reverencing the forest or trying to steal from the forest so in essence uh, hunting animals um for 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 fun that's why it doesn't make sense when the europeans they go and hunt these these animals and yeah just for fun and so in in our belief there's no killing an animal for fun it's uh, it has to have a purpose and it has to have a I wouldn't say a grand purpose, but it has to have a, a purpose that would bring forth, um, I don't know, that would give life, that would feed you so you could live for another day, you don't starve to death, right? And so it has to have that method or that process. Okay. There's, there's not a consequence against, you know, asking for reverence and then going hunting. Okay, so it all stems back to the respect for nature. Right. And um, the concept of, um, of, that I've read and that I've seen from other indigenous people as well, um, do you also use um, all the animal parts, like have everything used instead of not wasting? Right, right, Ron. Um, it's a valid question. And uh, yes, there... There is use for all parts of the animal. Um, and of course, now it's not being done as much as it should be. But uh, then, and I guess sometimes now, there's still a use for all parts of the animal that is being hunted or that is being used. Um, of course, for, for instruments, like you said, um, if I went hunting for a deer, I, I wouldn't know how to process uh, the skin itself for an instrument or for a deer clothing. So I'd be having, uh, I, I would have on a, a deer outfit now. <laughs> um, but, but parts of the animal is, well, are used for um, one of the main things now they're being used for is, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to refer to it. It's just a traditional outfit that is used at ceremonies. 
ceremonial outfits. Yeah, um, particularly the deer dance. And so you'd find the skull of a deer um, or the antler of a deer. You'll find uh, the, the jaguar um, fur being used. Um, sometimes, most of the time now, because of, uh, I guess, the decrease in population of jaguars within this region. But now it's increasing again. Um, of course, it's illegal to hunt jaguars in Belize and parts of Guatemala and Mexico now. But um, then it was used, and I believe there's still some aspects of you know the, that tradition being in practice still. Okay. But I think it's very important now, if anything, that we should continue or try to revive this um, tradition because it, it's actually in a sense, a bit of a shame or a bit disrespecting nature if we just hunt for fun. Right, right. That's why, um, do you remember the other day in the news, there was a uh, there was a tapir that was killed off the Belize Highway going north. Um, it, was, it was tragic, yes. It was tragic for the animal. But, I mean, somebody went and, you know, amputated the foot for something um, maybe a cow foot soup because <laughs> mountain cow are like cows <clears throat> and so maybe it was used for that but you know make use of it or it goes to waste and yeah tapirs are there are plenty meat it is and if if we could see it from nature itself they nature never lets anything goes to waste so Right. It, in itself, it, it well to bring up science and well whatever we what we know is we get consumed by the maggots and then we just end up with just skeletons. Right. So, we, sorry, I just sorry I didn't mean to cut in, but I just wanted to add one thing there. Um, there's this practice that is uh, still being done, um, and when uh, Let's just say the animal dies by an attack from your dog or is run over by a bicycle or a vehicle. It's quickly removed and buried. It's buried simply because it goes back into the earth. And it, it's like you're offering to the earth. And this is not just, you know, for dogs, but it happens to your chicken as well. If it's not killed by you, then you bury it to give that offering back to the earth. I mean, wouldn't the same concept fall for humans as well when we die? <clears throat> but we are enclosed in a box, you know. So it I mean, remains, that, it remains that, in there. It, it that has become... Yeah, sorry to cut you off. Um, it, that has become the tradition, though. But um, um, didn't before. I don't think we had coffins before. We just buried them in mounds, or they had. Um, every culture had a different way of funeral, in a sense. Right. So it was. It would be only like a high priest or a king that is buried within these temples, 
but everybody else is um, actually just buried in the ground. And okay. they would have like, they would build like this, um, this raft, but mm-hmm. it's made from um, sticks that, <laughs> that were side by side and has uh, two sticks going parallel the opposite direction and they're all tied up um and there's a whole dog then they would lay you to rest right on there then they would just lower you in okay so in a sense like wouldn't that i mean wouldn't it be similar to a coffin no 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 but it's not enclosed Oh, okay. It's not enclosed. It's not enclosed. And so the dirt just goes on top of you. And so everything decays, including the sticks that are there. The wood, yeah. Yeah. They decompose. So there's not like a a cement casing or a clay casing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I saw this um, this picture a couple months ago that they're trying to bring about a new way of burial. They want to, when we die, they want to put us in a sort of organic sack. And have a tree planted on top, or a seed, or some sort of plant planted on top, so that when we die, we, in a sense, fertilize this growth of plant, and we become one with nature again. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that um, a while back. Um, but it's it's ironic that you know, the things that indigenous people once did was seen as uncivilized. Savage. You know, uncunning savagery, and we revert in the twenty first century back to its old ways, and we we now we now say it's civilized to eat uh, snails. We eat raw snails for two hundred dollars. We eat raw snails when my ancestors <laughs> have been doing it for centuries <laughs> for and free. We were seen as uncivilized. <laughs> We were seen as uncivilized. Oh my gosh! I know that, that's the that's the concept that um, Europe or I would say Europe because I mean Europe was the one to quote unquote discover the Americas. So right. that's the concept that they came they came here with a very closed mind of a very Eurocentric mind to say okay if the world isn't as we are then they are savage they are different they are um uncivilized. Which is a little bit ironic to say as well, because the, I, I don't want to say countries, but I guess I would have to say this one because, I mean, it's historically correct that the British were, in effect, barbarians before they were, quote-unquote, <laughs> civilized by the French. <laughs> so it's a bit funny for them to call indigenous people or call people from the Americas uncivilized when they themselves were at that point exactly exactly <laughs> because even our language the, the language of english um didn't even exist back then it, it was it came from an anglo-saxon i guess german would be the closest thing we would have to the origin of english but um anyways we, that, that's another discussion for another time i don't really want to stray too much away from it uh, to continue, though, what, what is your culture's view on your fellow human being, your fellow person? Um, 
So like nature, uh, it is important to reference um, people. It's important to see others, not necessarily as different, um, but something that is of equal to you. <clears throat> the case, in the case of uh, a neighbor, um, we we don't we don't have a term for neighbor. The closest uh, I could think of would be the concept of inwet lumal. So the concept of neighbor um, is used as inwet lumal, and the translation of this because that's actually a sentence is my fellow dirt child. But this actually means person like me or person that lives near me, like we come from the same dirt, right? So we we are equal. And so in wet lumal is my fellow dirt child. <clears throat> and so this is just one way of us seeing other other people. And I think this speaks volume to how we see others. You know, indigenous people has never, never seen themselves as Maya, Garifuna, Arawaks. We were just a people. We were never segregated by all these names. It was only until the coming of the Europeans that we actually conceptualized segregation. Okay, so that's what you mentioned about the fellow human being is um, our fellow, what was it? Our fellow earth child? My fellow dirt child. My earth fellow child. dirt child. Or, 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 yeah, dirt child. <clears throat> it could be either because it depends on what you're saying because then loom could actually mean, you know, dirt or it could actually mean earth. Okay, well, from what we've all heard and read, and no, the Mayas were very proficient with mathematics, numbers, and astronomical events. So what is your take on that, dealing with the time and numbers? So I, I would want to believe that numbers came first. Um, maybe time came first. It's questionable. <laughs> Because, of course, uh, you could say time came first because of the agriculture boom that was exhibited, to, that contributed to the rise of population. And so you could see time, time being uh, one of the first things that were created, you know, the understanding of seasons. And my understanding is that there are certain times when you could plant different things. Of course, you can't plant you can't plant beans through um, the rainy season. You have to wait for the dry season, right? You can't plant corn. Uh, you could plant cl corn close to the rainy season, but not during the rainy season. These these provide uh, you know uh, irrational decision that would lead to you know a failure of crop. But um, <clears throat> time was something that was understood. 
from the beginning because one of the things that it had it had contributed to was the fact that um, understanding time led to an understanding of when natural phenomenon would take place, uh, particularly, like I said, like I'd mentioned earlier. Um, so when an eclipse happened, then I would know as the king. And of course, this plays an important role, like I said, in controlling the mass. Um, understanding time was everything to them. They were anal about time simply because of it presented itself as an opportunity to control the mass. It presented its opportunities to uh, agriculture, a boom in agriculture. It presented itself um, to follow or align themselves with the different stars which were seen as gods and so forth. But <clears throat> numbers also played a role in this in this um, discovery of time or understanding of time. One of the things that um, you could look at is the difference between European and indigenous, particularly the Mayas, uh, is the concept of zero. The, oh. the numbers itself propose a, a different concept because the Mayas used a base 20 while the numbers used a base, the numbers for the Europeans are a base 10, right? But ideally, the Mayas themselves, they understood the concept of zero because they understood not having anything, right? Europeans, on the other hand, I guess it's something that they were hardwired to believe that they have everything and they would always have which leads me to only believe that they came to like the bible says steal kill and destroy <laughs> so that makes them the devil right but i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> but but um <clears throat> one of the things that uh, i keep saying is that the concept of zero of course in this side of the world was originated by the mayas in the uh, old world it was originated by India and found its way uh, to Europe, okay? In this side of the world, the concept of zero meant having nothing. In that side of the world, I don't know if they started to count at one, two, three, four, five, which means they don't understand the concept of not having. So if there was a, a math class, Jim would always have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And Tom would always have one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven, or onwards. There was never somebody that never had none. <laughs> so when it comes to math, you would say, okay, well, Ronnie have one and I have one. How many that makes two? There was never a point in time when I had one and you had zero and how many that made one. <laughs> because there was only one. Yeah. <laughs> and so that just goes to show um, you know, the difference in, in thinking or the philosophical mindset, um, you know, in my belief, in my perspective, uh, between the two, the old and the new world, then. Okay. Okay, well, um, I guess with on that note, we could end this um, podcast. I know we had we possibly had strayed a, a bit from what we intended to do, but um, it doesn't really matter. 
firstly, I'd, I'd like to thank you for your time on, on sharing this information that you have given us. And um, I'd like to thank the people that are listening to it as well. And with that note, we could end it. All right. Well, I guess um, I just want to say thank you for having me, Ron, um, on here. Uh, I think it's um, ideally important that we have more and more people starting conversation or discussions around the different um, aspects of, of thinking. It lends itself to research. It lends itself to the educational system. And of course, um, it lends itself to anybody who wants to be versatile in this, in understanding all this and developing it or either um, revitalizing this way of thinking again. And so thank you. You're very welcome. And um, to anyone else that have stayed with us so far, if you have any ideas, philosophy, theories or anything you would like to discuss that or want to share with us um just feel free to reach out and we will see how we could fit it into an episode oh thank you